What's up, gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. It's the podcast for gamers who have spiky hair and wear three to five belts at any given time. In this episode, we're just going to break down some of the latest announcements from Nintendo, adding Sword to Smash, more Kingdom Hearts news, maybe go a little bit into our love of Kingdom Hearts, what we're looking forward to in gaming news, and what we're currently playing. Yeah, it's uh, it's fall now. We're breaking out those playlists that are exclusively Wilco and Bell and Sebastian. And uh, what's this? Is that Simple and Clean by Utada Hikaru has snuck its way onto our playlists. The ultimate video game bop of all time. Yeah, immediately followed by My Sanctuary. Immediately followed by Sanctuary. It's actually pretty crazy because I don't know with your experience with like things like Spotify, but Spotify doesn't really have a whole lot in the terms of like full-blown video game soundtracks. But as soon as I typed in Simple and Clean, because as soon as I heard that Nintendo was announcing that Sora was the final edition to Smash, um, I just had to listen to the song because yeah. it's it's so iconic and i put it in spotify and spotify has like six different versions of that song yeah while you were talking i just looked up to see if spotify had the chrono cross soundtrack and it does so after this you can catch me listening to the opening theme from chrono cross on spotify wow love that yeah they they added sora to smash he's our final smash character how are you feeling about that that announcement i have not played smash in a hot minute I mean, I did download some of the new characters, well, new as in a few years ago, like Piranha Plant, Joker, um, things like that. I, I played Smash a lot more when I was in college and I like lived with three other people and it's just a, a very social game. I haven't played it, but I don't know about you, but this addition to Smash actually makes me want to pick it up and play it again because I would just love to see how it feels to play Sora. Yeah, I have not picked up either yeah. of the fighter passes, but the last character that actually moved the needle for me in terms of maybe I'll have to pick up this fighter pass was the Dragon Quest hero that they added in, just because I thought that was a really cool addition. I honestly was hyped. Like, I was watching it live, and my guess actually was that it was going to be Waluigi. Um, I know a lot of people were excited for Waluigi, that it would it would right a wrong that was committed by not including him. So I was just kind of expecting it. I was kind of watching it. I was like, oh, it was very epic, all the... All the other Smash characters are looking up and staring at kind of like the moon or the sky. And I was like, who's, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And I just saw the flash of like the Mickey Mouse outline. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my, oh my God. Oh my God. It's happening. Um, there's some crazy reaction videos of just like straight up grown men like screaming when as soon as they see the Mickey Mouse keychain on the end of the keyblade. And I was honestly pretty hype about it. And then the other thing I was kind of hype about, not so much now, was very soon after on Nintendo's Twitter, they're like, hey, in honor of Kingdom Hearts' 20th anniversary, which I can't even believe it's 20 years old. That's Yeah, that baffling. boggles my mind, quite frankly. Baffling to me, frankly, baffling. I actually remember playing that game and not being able to play it, not being able to understand it because I was like three. Yeah. Now I'm 23 and I still don't fucking understand it. So like, that's fine. Nintendo announced on their Twitter that in honor of Kingdom Hearts' anniversary, that they would have all of the games available, like the 1.5 remix, the 2.8, 3, like the whole shebang. Um, some of the spinoff games and cutscene modes, so you could just watch through them. They had the X, which is the online game that got closed down a few years back. The whole, the whole saga available for Switch. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Um, why are they announcing this via tweet? Like, I feel like this should be a bigger deal. Like, when, shouldn't this be like a Kingdom Hearts Direct? I don't know. And I clicked on it and watched the video. Of course, they have this orchestrated version of Simple and Clean in the background. It's really getting me in the feels. I have a montage of all these scenes. And then it's like for cloud playing. And I'm like, what the hell is cloud playing? It's not a digital download. Yeah. What it essentially is, for those who don't know, because I literally just found out like a week ago, is that you have to have a stable internet connection. And it's essentially like you're streaming a game. You don't actually own it. You don't really download it. It's just kind of like streaming a game. So I mean, you would stream Netflix. So you might have to pay to have access to it, but you don't actually own it. And uh, as someone who at one point did own all the Kingdom Hearts games before I sold them and I really shouldn't have, I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm not hyped about this at all. And then the uh, other thing they announced was the merch. They did a little sneak peek of the merch mm -hmm. for the 20th anniversary. And I always am interested in merch. 
they said there was like more merch to be coming soon. So the ones they shown was like not all of it, but this was just to kind of give you a little taste, a little morsel, taste, a little morsel. And one of the tastes they gave you was a like six hundred dollar chess set. They also showed this suitcase, like a carry on that has like five different buckles and straps on it. It basically looks like Sora's pants or like an Organization 13 outfit, but it's a suitcase and it, it I don't know, it gives me weird hype beast vibes. It gives me setting off the metal detectors at the airport vibes. I do love that whoever designed this merch is aware enough of the fact that character designer Tetsuya Nomura's calling card at this point is just belts it's just belts, belts and buckles I they, know like that's that you can tell a character was designed by Tetsuya Nomura if they have spiky hair if they have at least two belts on their outfit or both and now your luggage can also have that so if you're a, a hardcore Kingdom Hearts fan you know, you used to wear those trip pants at Hot Topic, which costs a oh, small Christ. fortune. And you feel like dropping some dough on uh, a sick ass carry on bag. Uh, I guess that's the merch for you. I just want to, I just want a coffee mug. I just want a tote bag. Give me a coffee mug where it's like Sora and then you pour in the hot water and it becomes Roxas or something. Like that's just, I'm a simple person. Yeah. I don't know if and uh, this is coming from somebody who has not looked up Kingdom Hearts merch since I was like 12. But I know that kind of stuff used to be pretty easy to find, but like either buried in the recesses of Hot Topics in the mall or in like anime shops where you would find like bootleg stuff. Because I definitely bought a Keyblade necklace that I never wore off of ebay that shipped from like japan and took two months to get there that stuff has to exist somewhere it's just for some reason the official merch is skewing towards weird prestige bullshit yeah items it does like hot topic and box lunch which is i think in my Mm. opinion better than hot topic these days for nerd stuff is better like they have they have some stuff like they have you know, t-shirts and stuff and hoodies, things like that, but they don't have really that many good collector's items anymore. Um, and a lot of it is like the same graphic over like five different types of t-shirt or crew neck sweatshirt. And not a lot of it is like specifically women's clothes. And as someone who's less than five feet tall, I hate <laughs> wanting like a gamer shirt or a gamer hoodie. And it's made for like a six foot three man. Like it's just, yeah, you're, you're going to be in the hot topic kids section looking for your Sora Roxas t-shirt. I used to have a kid's Sora Roxas t-shirt. I should mm-hmm. not. It was like the Kingdom Hearts 2 one where they're all like posted up sitting against each other and they're like Sora on one side and Roxas on another and like King Mickey in his little like black suit and his little leather. I think I had the exact same shirt. I think I know exactly what you're talking oh, about. God. Yeah, like the, the front of it has the graphic and it's like a blue and white watercolor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that was actually my favorite t-shirt as a kid. No, no, no lie. Um, you know, and... I still will probably play Kingdom Hearts, maybe not stream it. I might get the collection again for the PS5 because I don't know about you, but like video game music can really do a number on me in terms of nostalgia and hearing that orchestrated version of Simple and Clean and that Nintendo video actually really brought me back and that made me realize I never finished Kingdom Hearts 3 because I went through a really bad breakup in my sophomore year of college when it came out and I just like lost motivation to play it. And I just started thinking about it. I started listening to Simple and Clean and I was like just being nostalgic over it. And I was like, I want to play these games again. Like I want to, I want to feel this again. I think Um, the most frustrating part about it too is that it seems, and I'm not an expert. I want to go on record as saying I'm not an expert. (laughs) But it would seem to me that part of the issue is that they're putting up the remix collections, which is, like you said, the 1.5 HD remix, which has like Kingdom Hearts 1, 2, and Chain of Memories, the interstitial one that was originally a GBA game, but then was later released better, or at least in the same graphical engine, whether or not you consider that to be better on the PS2. And then the 2.5 HD remix, which is like, I think the the one PSP game and then a, the 3DS one maybe and a couple other things, not 100% on that. But if they were to divide the games up separately, I don't think this would be as much of an issue. Like I think the Switch on its own could probably run 
Kingdom Hearts 1 to Birth by Sleep, like all those individual games. But since they are instead just taking the versions of them that were released on PS4 and optimized to run on the, that generation of consoles, it just has to be streamed, which I get it for experiences that will never work on the Switch unless they are optimized to hell and back. Like I know Control is one of the games that you can play via the cloud service. I think so is one of the Hitman games. And you know, that makes sense to me because they would have to, they would have to fuck with the lighting engine and fuck with the graphics to a point where it would become unrecognizable. But like, for God's sake, Kingdom Hearts 1 has to be able to run on Switch. I I find it so incredibly hard to believe. No, it definitely should be able to know. I was just thinking about that as soon as you brought that point because the original Final Fantasy VII for the PS1, which only came out a few years before Kingdom Hearts, which is crazy to think about, um, is on the eShop. So is, yeah, so is Final Fantasy X, which was also a PS2 game. Like Yeah, so it's definitely possible. Um, and I think it, it also is playing yet again into this new this other issue that the Switch has, which is like, and it's not always Smash characters, but it like Smash characters are great examples. This would be the perfect opportunity for Nintendo to hit you with some cross-marketing, where when you see a character added to Smash, you go, I'm going to go to the eShop and buy this game. Like, it's the same reason why everybody thought Persona 5 was going to come out on the Switch for the longest time, because it just seemed stupid to put Joker in Smash and then not put Persona 5 on the eShop. And then they did that. So it's it's annoying it's once again Nintendo doing that thing where I, they did it just now with Metroid, and I assume we're going to talk about that more later, but they'll put out a new game in a series or some kind of reference to a series, but then make it so that it's impossible to play the previous games in the series without going to a different console or just pirating them. <laughs> that reminds me of, uh, you know, Video Game Donkey, YouTube commentary legend. I was talking to Jesse about Kingdom Hearts and trying to explain the timeline to him. And Donkey has a video. You should watch it. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And he kind of goes through all of the uh, storyline and kind of like a shit posting tone. But like mm-hmm. he actually accurately reports the Kingdom Hearts storyline in the shit posting type of tone of voice to show how ridiculous the story is. Because it, mm-hmm. you don't even need to joke about the story because the story is just outlandish. Um, and every time he mentions when a game happened or like this event happened back in this game, he always lists the console that game is for. So he'll be like, Tigger had a vision of Xenohort, blah, blah, blah. And this game for the Game Boy Advance. And then later yeah. on, this game for the PS4. He like connects all of them and you just hear all these consoles strung together over the course of two yeah. decades. And you're like, this is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I think I actually did the math and I think you have to own... If it's for 3DS, DS, Game Boy Advance, PS2, PS4, I think that's, you have to own at least five consoles before they did remixes. Prior to them doing these remixes, you had to own five consoles to actually experience the Kingdom Hearts series. Yeah, and even then, the remixes still leave some stuff out because, like I know you mentioned, for one, Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days, excellent (laughs) title, by the way, the DS game is... That one's story is only covered in cutscenes in the PS4 re-release. So Either you don't that. get to experience the fun, janky DS controls that are attempting to emulate a PlayStation 2 analog stick. Actually, I just thought about it. So the game's six consoles. I forgot to count the PSP. Ooh. He Birth rest- by Sleep was a banger. Birth by Sleep was a banger. You can't forget that one. Yeah. PSP truly ahead of its time. What a, what a handheld. What a handheld. What is your history with the Kingdom Hearts series? This is very embarrassing. This is a loaded question. Oh, God. I knew you were going to ask me this to put me in this corner. Um, so, uh, I, so growing up, I was always more of a tomboy. All my friends were boys. And I transferred middle schools when I was in seventh grade. I started doing theater in eighth grade. This is important. I met a kid in my theater club. His name was Hunter. Hunter and I are still friends. Uh, Hunter comes from a large family. He has an older brother. I'm not going to say because it'd be really weird to say it on this on this pod. But like, shout out Hunter's older brother. Yeah, shout out Hunter's older brother. Um, I had a 
fucking massive crush on him. Mm-hmm. I had a crush on him from seventh or eighth grade until I almost graduated high school. Fuck. And he was like three years older than me. So like when a seventh grader has a crush on you and you're like in 10th grade, that's just weird. Like, that's just weird. You don't care. Like whatever, pee on like you're my little brother's friend. But I was like infatuated with him. I would think about him all the time. I would like write fan fiction about him. Super, I was super weird. You were probably like what? Like three foot eight in seventh grade, right? No, I was actually the same height I am now. <laughs> okay, yeah. I was just about like 20 pounds skinnier. Okay. <laughs> Just like, yeah, I, I was, I've been the same size in terms of height roughly since about fifth grade, <laughs> just so you know. And so anyway, he, this older brother, I had a crush on. We were in drama club together. I always dreamed of getting a lead role because he also got the lead role because he was the only boy in our school who really sing well. So I was like, oh, if I got the lead role, like he could kiss me. Anyway, he really likes Kingdom He really likes Kingdom Hearts and he would wear these Kingdom Hearts socks and Kingdom Hearts like pins and stuff. And he would sometimes, we, I went to a school where there's uniforms on days where they weren't uniforms. So you would wear shorts with like multiple belts and buckles, like at least three belts. So kind of going with your theme there. Yeah, and, so he too looked like he was he was designed by Tetsuya Nomura. <laughs> and so I was just trying to figure out like how to make conversation with him. Because when you're like seventh grade and you're trying to talk to a ninth grade, you're like, oh God, like I, I you know, what I talked to him about. And so I'd be like, I heard you play video games. Hunter told you, told me you play video games. Uh, and like we started talking about video games and he was like, yeah, I'm a fan of Kingdom Hearts. You should play it. And I was like, yeah. And so I went home and I was like, I got to play this game. I have to play this game to talk to him about it. And so we had a PS2. I went to like a used game store. I bought Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2. This was like summer break before 8th or ninth grade. And I was like, this summer, I'm going to play through both these Kingdom Hearts games that when I come back to school, I can talk to him about it. And then maybe he'll start talking to me more. Maybe he'll like me. Like I had this, I basically only got into Kingdom Hearts to convince a boy to like me. Um, Spoiler alert, he never did. (laughs) But I got into Kingdom Hearts and that summer I was like really vibing and I really loved it. I love the story, um, the parts of it that I could comprehend. I love the music. Uh, the combat was always fun. The gummy ship stuff was always fun. And uh, after I finished playing Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, oh my god. Uh, his birthday was coming up. And so I went to Hot Topic and I bought these two matching pairs of Kingdom Hearts socks. Oh no. Like like knee-high length Kingdom Hearts socks that had like keyblade patterns on it. Yeah. And I wore a pair and I gave him a pair and I was like, we should wear these together. Like, because we're friends who both love Kingdom Hearts. And so, like, literally, I would watch, I would wear those socks like twice a week. I wore them so much that I had holes in them. And I was like, hey, you should like wear them on Thursday because I'm wearing them on Thursday. We can be like matching at rehearsal. Oh my and God. he never wore them. <sighs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I got into Kingdom Hearts. It was, it was too impressive, boy. I don't even have words. I feel like I just watched the entirety of like the entire season of like a Disney Channel show. Yeah, press F to pay respects. Yeah, yeah, I'm, ser- I'm seriously out. paying my respects. Yeah, you ever been down so bad? <laughs> Probably. That's my weird. intro to the series is far less dramatic. <laughs> I when I was growing up, we had a we had a Windows ninety eight PC that just kind of hung out, and I had a bunch of computer games for it. I had a bunch of like the Disney movie tie-in games, which Ooh. I'm not looking this up. I'm going to do this purely based on memory. But to my to my knowledge, there were at least a couple like point-and-click adventure style games that were based on Disney movies. And I vividly recall I had one for Beauty and the Beast. And I don't know, maybe I'm completely misremembering this, but one of the Disney PC games I had had a section on it that had like trailers for other Disney games that were coming out. And one of the trailers on there was the first Kingdom Hearts. And I remember it was, I could probably find the trailer that it was on YouTube. I'm going to have to look, but it was like one of the early trailers for the game that had mostly cinematics and then a little bit of gameplay and simple and clean playing over it. And I remember I would just watch the trailer over and over again, thinking like, this looks like the pinnacle of gaming. Like I, I hadn't reached a point in my life where I was like a kid who liked anime yet, 
So it was like tickling a part of my brain that I didn't know could be tickled with like the spiky hair and the big shoes and the goofy outfits and shit. And something about the spiky hair and the goofy outfits being paired with like Mickey Mouse just felt right. So I ended up getting a PS2 as a Christmas gift a few years down the line with a copy of Kingdom Hearts 1. And I think I've mentioned before on on this that I was a stupid kid. I like I'm an astu- I'm a stupid adult too, especially when it comes to like puzzle solving in video games. But like as a kid, I was just such a dumbass. And like I had the first Kingdom Hearts, but I didn't beat it for years. Like I remember every now and then, every few years, I would pull it back out and try to beat it and get hung up on some new level where I was like either stuck on a combat encounter or stuck on a platforming puzzle that was just too difficult for my idiot child brain. But Kingdom Hearts 2 is really where I got hooked on the series. I I was seven when it came out. Pretty sure we bought it the day it came out. And I remember I played it for several hours and then had to go to bed because it was a school night, but I wasn't anywhere near a save point in the game. So I had to just leave the PS2 on all night. And I don't know if you ever had times like that when you were growing up and you had to leave your console on at night because of the, uh, the safe point not being accessible. I, I remember those days. That was some stressful shit because, man, if, if like a brownout hit or if there was any kind of issue with your power, you were so fucked. So I remember, I remember waking up in the morning and like running to the TV to make sure that the game hadn't turned off overnight. But yeah, I kind of came eye open. <laughs> I kind of came back and forth to the series over the years and like I played. I played 358 over two days on the DS on and off in between like eating breakfast and going to middle school. And I played Birth by Sleep on the PSP until my memory stick corrupted and deleted my save game. And I was like, I don't feel like I want to do those early parts ever again and just never went back to it. And I kind of dropped off by the time Kingdom Hearts 3 came out and I never ended up getting that one and playing it. So I think the last one that I... I seriously played might have been I touched the one on the 3DS for a little bit, but I never beat it. But I think as a, yeah, Dream Drop Distance. But I think as a whole, I think it's a, it's a series that is maligned for the wrong reasons. I think Kingdom Hearts is a very fun series. I think it definitely takes itself too seriously. But frankly, what doesn't take itself too seriously? I think that's part of the charm. Like, I love when some, like, crazy-ass scene is happening and some, like, Organization 13 guy is talking about the darkness in his heart and Woody from Toy Story is like, maybe you just weren't loved enough, you know? Like, just... In, in- Shit like that, yeah. The, and the character design is so good. I'm sitting here with our Zoom window open on one half of my screen and the Google image results search for... Halloween Town Sora on the other side of the screen. Right. I implore anyone who has not seen this to please Google image search Halloween Town Sora. He's so cool looking. And like, sure, maybe I think this is goofy and hot topic as shit now. But as a kid, this was like peak fucking character design. He's got a little jack-o'-lantern on his head. He's got vampire teeth. Like, he's so cool. And I would argue that, like, I think part of the reason that the character design of Kingdom Hearts is so great is also because of the character design of Final Fantasy VII. Like, it didn't hit me because I never really played Final Fantasy VII, those early Final Fantasy games, till like, very recently. I was looking at some of the concept art and, like, graphics art for the original Final Fantasy VII game where, like, you know, Cloud up against, like, his, like, back is facing Tifa and she's facing another side. And something about the hair and something about the spikiness and the shadows and the two characters standing back to back to each other, which is very anime, like opening theme visuals. But I looked at that and I was like, holy shit, that's like the graphic from Kingdom Hearts 2, like the one I used to have a t-shirt of. Yeah. And it just hit me, oh yeah, this game came out like five years before Kingdom Hearts. And it's very much influenced by that. I believe it was Polygon that ran an article a while back that was called something like how Kingdom Hearts changed Final Fantasy. Hmm. And it makes an argument about how the popularity and like the gameplay and stuff of Kingdom Hearts bled over into future Final Fantasy games. And I think there's something to be said for that. 
I can uh-huh. totally see that because I know 15, Final Fantasy 15, which I haven't really played a lot of, has a battle system that is like basically Kingdom Hearts. It yeah. is like it practically shed most of the turn based elements and jumped straight into like action yeah. stuff like Kingdom Hearts. I would also say, like, I'm sure they were thinking of it when it was made, but Kingdom Hearts is kind of like a baby's first Final Fantasy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I played the Kingdom Hearts game as a kid, too. I play Final Fantasy as an adult pipeline, I think is pretty strong. I think we're both part of that pipeline. Um, so I think it, it was, Square Enix is a very ingenious way of introducing new fans to their to their work. And honestly, I, I might re I might repurchase Kingdom Hearts 3 because I really, really want it. I think the brilliance of it too is it it drew in people who saw the trailer and heard that it was Square Enix and just wanted to play a cool action RPG. And then it also drew in kids like me who just enjoyed Disney stuff and thought that it looked fun. And from there, I learned who characters like Cloud and Sephiroth and the main character from Final Fantasy VIII, whose name is Squall, but for some reason goes by the name Leon in Kingdom Hearts for a completely unexplained reasons. Oh my God. No idea. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I did think it's, you can kind of see, and I know I noticed this when I was growing up and I played Birth by Sleep on the PSP, it kind of began to shy, or not shy, it kind of began to shed some of the Final Fantasy and lean further into the Disney, which was always kind of a bummer to me. But I think even if the games are not something that I revisit, other than maybe Kingdom Hearts 1 or 2, I think having a character like Sora in Smash is like the the ultimate collapsing of intellectual property just jammed into one another, which is kind of what Smash is. So it's cool. Yeah. I this latest Smash definitely brought down the boundaries of like what can be included in Smash. So I remember at first when like Solid Snake was added, people were like, oh my God, he's not even a Nintendo game. How do you get in here? Wow. And now they're just like any care any character that exists can technically make it into Smash if he just tries hard enough. If Sora can, you can too. It means I can update my Smash character wish list to include Goku, Columbo, <laughs> okay. and Niles Crane. Well, anything is possible. If so- if <laughs> any, Sora anything is possible. Smash, truly anything is possible. And speaking of other Nintendo news, which I kind of talked about earlier, Animal Crossing Direct. Woo. on friday it oh, yeah. will be uh in the early afternoon for those of us living on the east coast i will not be able to like tweet about it live because i'll be driving uh to my parents house but uh, i will definitely talk about that the next time you record i definitely want to do a little recap a little reaction to it i Is it another one of these 10 a.m directs because i yeah. love nintendo but god damn it i have Friday morning I have a work Zoom call that I have to attend on Fridays at 10 a.m. And like last time when they were showing off the Smash character and a new Mitski track was debuting at the same time, <laughs> I'm sitting here in the work Zoom call with like the the audio turned down and then the audio for the Mitski YouTube video up and then the, the Smash video in another like smaller window off to the side. And my boss is over here like, anybody doing anything fun this weekend? And I'm sitting here like trying to watch three separate videos at the same time, straining my eyes. There are two eyes. wolves inside of me. One of them wants to listen to Mitski's Working for the Knife as it debuts worldwide. And the other wolf wants to watch the Smash reveal and also participate in the work Zoom call. You can only pick two. So I am excited for the new stuff. i for Brewster, new museum stuff. Uh, I'm excited to see if we have any more holiday content. And then another thing I'm interested in is the potential for more amiibos because they did a Sanrio Hello Kitty amiibo a while back. Um, and they kind of vaguely said that new amiibos will be announced at a later time. So I don't know if the Nintendo Direct, Animal Crossing Direct is that quote later time, but I'm excited to see it. I think the holidays for Animal Crossing New Horizons at least have the potential to be more interesting because I know it was kind of a big deal when it released mm-hmm. that rather than the holidays being preloaded into the game where like you could just change your system clock and go experience Halloween. It is set so that it requires like a switch to flip server side for you to get that download. So I can't just fast forward to Christmas on New Horizons and get the Christmas content. So that means hypothetically year to year holidays could be different. 
granted it worries me a little bit for when nintendo quits supporting it and the switch online servers go down and maybe i won't be able to experience any holidays but in the meantime while the game's being supported it does mean hypothetically that like halloween could be different year to year which is pretty cool the switch servers go down you're stuck only with bunny day and eggs turning up on all of your balloon drops and every time you cut open a tree yeah, it, when the Switch servers go down, every holiday will be programmed to be Bunny Day, and uh, Zipper becomes a permanent resident in your oh my god. Zipper, Zipper moves into your house. <laughs> god, that's terrifying. That's pretty much all I have in terms of gaming news. I think the verdict is Kingdom Hearts good, embracing the things that you loved as a kid unabashedly, and not embracing cringe culture also good, and... Animal Crossing Direct has the potential to be good. Potential to be good. What are you playing? What am I playing? I recently, I talked about it on a recent episode, but I finally beat Eastward, the new Switch RPG that's like, you got your Zelda in my Earthbound. No, you got your Earthbound in my Zelda. Ooh. Uh, it's fun. I really liked it. The... I've played the game to completion now. It was way longer than I thought it was going to be. I ended up clocking like 20 hours into it and I didn't even get like all the stuff that I could have. There's like a fully baked in in-game RPG that the characters in the world really like that plays kind of like an old Dragon Quest. Oh, cool. And you come across like arcade cabinets where you can play this old RPG and I never actually beat that. Like, that's its whole thing, too. That is, like, a several-hour game inside of this game. But I really enjoyed it. I found there was a couple of reviews I read of the game that said that there was a bit of a difficulty spike as far as combat goes, which I never really encountered because this game has basically the same cooking system that Breath of the Wild has built into it. You just, like, find ingredients throughout the world. And also his weapon of choice is a frying pan, a la Paula from Earthbound. So... When you get to cooking stations, you just like pull out your in-game frying pan and then you select three ingredients to make a recipe. And some of the recipes, it's just like Breath of the Wild. Some of the recipes will give you defense buffs and some will give you attack buffs and stuff like that. So as I got further into the game, I kind of like would make recipes that gave me attack buffs. And when I went into a combat encounter, I would eat the cake that gave me an attack buff. And the way combat typically plays out, it feels very similar to the old 2D Zeldas, like A Link to the Past or something, where... You're walking around on a plane and you press a button and your attack is horizontal and you kind of sweep. But the added fun part is that your companion, who's a younger character, her name is Sam, you can switch very quickly back and forth between them. And she can throw out a little magic ability that stuns enemies briefly, which early on is kind of pointless because you can kill enemies fast enough. But when you get later into the combat encounters, like some enemies are more susceptible to her bubbles and will actually take damage and some you kind of have to stun because they move so fast so it's like this rapid character switching that i found really fun uh the story was kind of completely incomprehensible i still found it to be emotionally affecting but in like a this is reaching into some kind of like nostalgic part of my brain way not in like a the text of this makes any sense way it it kind of goes off the rails at one point and the only thing I can really compare it to is like parts of it almost reminded me of like the end of Evangelion where it's oh, like, God. yeah, it's like weird shit is happening that feels like it was sort of telegraphed earlier, but like not in the way the tone was going to be. Like a character died on screen like 10 hours prior, but that's like not what you thought happened because, or at least I didn't, maybe I'm just a dumbass. I don't know. It, it was, it was good. Um, I don't really foresee a sequel coming out, but the main draw of this game was the art style. And frankly, if this studio makes anything else, I will be picking it up because the art style was awesome. The only other thing I really put any time into was the complete and total opposite, totally gameplay length, every which way game I got on Steam for about $3 called The Haunted Island, A Frog Detective Story. The main writer i believe for the frog detective series is a developer named grace bruxner who has been on my tiktok for you page like once a day promoting frog detective which is like a several year old game but she's like really going at it and it worked i bought frog detective and it the game took me about 45 minutes to beat 
in it, you play as Frog Detective, who is called to an island that is haunted by a ghost, and you have to figure out why the island is haunted. And it is it, it was built in like the Unity engine, so you can kind of you walk around with like the WASD keys on your keyboard, and you look around and you solve little fetch quests for characters. But it's very funny. I, I haven't played any games that were as funny as it is recently. Like one character really wants to learn about breakdancing because he has a crush on another character. So like after you complete his quest line, every time you walk near him, he's just breakdancing. Or like you, that. you have a magnifying glass that you can hold down the right click to view things with. But the way it distorts your vision and messes up the FOV when you pull the magnifying glass up, it's like completely useless. And also like you never need to use the magnifying glass to solve a puzzle. It's 100% there just for like color. But it, it was really cute. I really enjoyed it. Highly recommend. I need to play more funny games. What are you playing? I'm- I'm totally, I'm actually very interested in, in both those games, the Frog Detective particularly, because it's very cute. Yeah. And um, this house, in this household, we love anime frogs. We love cartoon frogs. So Yeah, it's, he, he was a great cartoon frog. And I can't say I've played a lot of games recently, or even in general, where nobody dies. And then when the game ends, all the characters have a dance party. And that's the resolution of the game. It was, it was just good. I don't. I, I have been meaning to play more games that are just like short experiences. And frankly, that's kind of what I thought Eastward was going to be. And it was not. And I was pleasantly surprised when I spent three hours on something and I got a good 45 minutes out of it. And I was like, I'm happy. Yeah, I love that. So what I've been playing. So I just finished Deltarune chapter one and two. Uh, so I actually didn't know Deltarune chapter one came out when it came out a few years back. I was just into Undertale at the time and didn't know. So when I heard about Deltarune Chapter 2 coming out, I was like, oh shoot, never played Chapter 1. So I played it. I found it to be really enjoyable. I think the gameplay, the combat, and the art style are definitely significantly better than Undertale. It also helps that Toby Fox has a whole team of people working on this now. So it's no longer just a solo thing. He actually has like a whole team of people, including artists and, and designers and more devs. And That's cool. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Uh, I really loved it. I really love the dynamic between your character, Chris and Susie, and uh, the whole idea of having to deal with someone in your party who does things you don't agree with and how it's, uh, in many cases, harder to be a pacifist um, than an Undertale. So I really enjoyed it. I really like the story. It leaves a lot to be desired. It leaves a lot to be like, what's gonna happen next? Um, some ideas of, so with Deltarune, you go into a world that is inside your school supply closet or inside the library. It's actually a fantasy world, like a castle and people who need to be rescued and fictional cities and things like that. And each time you leave and go to bed at night, uh, at the end of each chapter, something happens to you, something happens to your soul, like your heart, and kind of shows that the fantasy world is starting to bleed out into your real life mm. and that there is maybe something evil trying to take over you and that uh, the real world and the fantasy world you play in are starting to become one. So it's very interesting. And it definitely ended on a weird cliff note or cliff note, a weird cliffhanger that I was kind of like, what's going to happen next? There has to be a next chapter. Like, you can't just end it like this. And at the end, it takes you to like a save screen and it's like chapter one, complete, chapter two, complete. And there's a chapter three, four, five, six, seven, blank. You can't save on it. You can't interact with them. Ooh, that's awesome. I was like, ooh, I love that. I love that's the way they announced there'd be seven whole chapters of Deltarune. Well, worth um, noting, too, is that Deltarune's chapter one and two are totally free right now, right? They are, yeah. Toby Fox announced on his site that because the, so initially he wanted to, released Deltarune as one very long full-length game all seven chapters at once but he was like no I, I kind of want to release chapter one and then with chapter two he kind of did it as like a free gift because he's like I know a lot of people are going through it in the pandemic right now economically emotionally I just kind of want to like uh I just kind of want to release chapter two to give people some form of escapism and to make it free for everyone because we're all going through it right now I thought that was a really cool gesture and also makes me really, really cool. excited 
to buy the next installment and the next installment of Deltarune will be chapters three through five. Oh, awesome. The next drop will be actually several chapters, which is really exciting. And yeah, I love the backgrounds, like the graphics in the background. I love the color schemes, just lots of cute little interactions. Like you kind of find out like your main character's parents are divorced through some pretty funny interactions with your dad trying to send, he's a florist, trying to send flowers to your mom and you give them to your mom. Your mom's like, it's from him. And she's like angry about it. <laughs> and seems like your dad's kind of a himbo. Like it, it and you go into his house and it's like a classic like divorced dad apartment. And there's nothing in the fridge besides like mustard. And there's like pictures of the walls of like him and your mom when they were still together. And it's just like funny interactions like that. Yeah. Probably a bit sad <laughs> interactions like that that really flush out the game for me. And those like witty interactions with, with enemies um, that really make Undertale and Deltarune its own unique art style and, and style of game. Yeah, the, the art style jump from Undertale to Deltarune reminds me a lot of game series that had installments on like a 8-bit consoles versus 16-bit consoles like the way it reminds me of the way the original Final Fantasy 4 looks like compared to like Final Fantasy 6 when things move from the NES to the Super Nintendo the the storytelling capability may not have changed too much given just kind of came down to how much text you could fit in the box but the graphics became so much richer because they had so much more to work with. And it's not that he didn't have plenty to work with when he made Undertale. It's just that it's like a completely different undertaking, which is really neat. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I recommend all who can play. It's literally free. So that's not a barrier. And each chapter is about uh, two to four hours long. I did each chapter um, in a weekend. So it was it's a fun ride. And the other thing I we're just getting into playing over here is Metroid Dread. We uh, we got a copy of it. It is beautiful. It is like it <laughs> really masters you know that art style. I love the details of each boss. I love uh, the controls of Samus. All things you can do to her as you progress throughout the ship you're on, which is very classic Metroid. You acquire new abilities. There's a really, really big jump that happens when you can finally make Samus's suit curl into a ball, very much like Metroid yeah. Prime, um, and do things like that. You get a, a heat-resistant suit that can handle high temperatures, and it's the classic orange and yellow suit that Samus wears oh, while awesome. the older games. And soundtrack is great. The enemies are hard as hell. Like I remember reading a couple reviews from, uh, I believe, Mashable and the Washington Post that some of the gaming journalists were com kind of complaining that the game was too hard. And like that can be said for a lot of games. There's a lot of uh, making fun of game journalists who say that games are too hard or comparing hard games to Dark Souls. There's a lot of good meme material for that. Um, by no means am I comparing Metroid to Dark Souls, but harder than I expected. There are times when you are being chased by an enemy that um, if you do not run away from it, it absolutely will kill you. Yeah. Um, and there's moments where you're trying to evade an enemy from killing you. And if you don't hit a button at the exact right moment, I mean, the exact frame, you will die. So that makes things pretty hard, but it, it's overall been, been really cool. I've been I was kind of getting into it. The only issue, which you kind of mentioned earlier, was that Metroid Dread is a direct sequel to a game called Metroid Fusion, which came out for the Game Boy mm. Advance in 2002. Yeah. And as someone who just kind of casually enjoyed the Prime games and watching my brother and my cousins play the Prime games as a kid, I was like, I don't know, I, don't know, I could play this. Um, no, I can't. And, or I couldn't. And so I actually listened to Triple Click's episode about what's the deal with Metroid, where they kind of go into the whole lore of the series and everything you kind of missed. So I would highly recommend that episode. And like you were saying about Kingdom Hearts, it has the, the five console to understand everything problem. Yeah. It's really frustrating that Nintendo almost doesn't want you to play their back catalog. Like the the only games in the Metroid series that are available on Switch to play in any capacity are the original and Super Metroid. Mm. And they're only available through the Switch online service, the, the pay thing. It's like if they would just put Metroid Fusion, the Game Boy Advance game that directly precedes Dread, or if they would put 
Samus Returns, the 3DS remake that came out as the Switch was beginning its life cycle that a lot of people just didn't pick up because the 3DS was a dying console at that point. Like people would buy them. It's I'd it's very them. frustrating. A Metroid anthology, very much like those Kingdom Hearts remix collections. Yeah. I'd buy it. I'd buy it. I totally buy it. Um, another thing I learned from looking up some Metroid lore is that like a lot of people, my exposure to Metroid growing up was those Metroid Prime games. Mm-hmm. And what I learned is that the 2D Metroid, like side scroller games, and the 3D Metroid Prime games are actually written by different people and they are kind oh. of like two different timelines. Oh my God. Things. So, like, I kind of walked into it being like, oh, is this going to be like Metroid Prime? It's not. It doesn't play like it, doesn't feel like it, doesn't have that story. And there's actually some nods in this current game to a I believe a Metroid game that came out for the Wii U, which yeah, not exactly. Oh, are you talking popular. about uh, are you talking about Other M on the Wii, the one that yes, everybody Other hated? M. There's yeah. some continuity. There's some references to characters, a character in particular who is important in Other M. I was like, who is this? Um, so yeah, it, it does definitely suffer from that problem. But I'm enjoying it so far. It's not a very will, long game. I will say, I've been really surprised to see that so much of the discussion around metroid dread so far has been about the difficulty of it because i know the last metroid game that came out like i said that was samus returns the 3ds release that was a remake of the game boy not advanced game boy but original game boy sequel to the nes original metroid that was developed by mercury steam the studio that developed dread this time i know a lot of the discussion around that was that it was too easy because that one added a like melee parry system that allowed you to kind of finish off enemies instead of having to precisely aim at them. And I remember reading reviews of that one that said like adding the melee parry has made combat too easy. So now now the reviews saying this one is too hard. It's kind of funny. It's almost like they overcorrected. Yeah, everybody's a critic. I really, from what I've seen experience, I've really enjoyed the combat of it. Um, mm. The ability to draw yourself in closer to enemies, the ability to evade enemies. I think it's I think it's really cool. Um, and I'm really excited to finish it and to get that going. Like I said, it's, it's pretty short. Like most people be- beat it in like eight to eleven hours. Um, hmm. so I would say in that regard, it's not like any of the prime games at all. Uh so yeah, I'm I'm really happy about it. And I do wish Nintendo would give Metroid a lot more love. They don't do anything for its anniversaries or really anything like that. So uh, pour one out for all the Metroid fans. They don't win very often. <laughs> I will say too, I know you mentioned a podcast and fans of Kingdom Hearts should absolutely, or fans of Kingdom Hearts or not yet fans of Kingdom Hearts who would like to begin attempting to digest the completely incomprehensible story should totally check out a series that was done as part of the Waypoint podcast, Vice's video games podcast called Lore Reasons, where they over the course of God knows how many episodes broke down the incomprehensible story of Kingdom Hearts to explain that it was, in fact, comprehensible. And it's really great. It's great stuff. I also read over on Polygon, they have a pretty extensive breakdown. I think it was also written by Maddie Myers, who is a host on the podcast you mentioned, Triple Click. But they have a pretty extensive breakdown of the Metroid lore that is necessary to know, mm-hmm. given that that lore is spread across an NES game, a Game Boy game, a Super Nintendo game, and then a Game Boy Advance game, and then maybe a Wii game. Yeah, it's it's all over the place. I know I did read, uh, funny enough, the Wii U eShop is still active, and the Wii U, even though not a lot of people owned it, had a virtual console system that was like pretty similar to what was on offer for the Wii. And yeah. Metroid Fusion... And Metroid Zero Mission, which is a Game Boy Advance remake of the original NES Metroid, have jumped up to like the top of the sales charts on the Wii U eShop because people are just people are just buying them. So I guess Nintendo is getting money one way or another, but it's not through like the accessible way that the people who own their best-selling console of all time could play. Yeah. It just makes me think of that meme that's like, it is always morally correct to pirate Nintendo games, which I will not. I will not offer any opinion on one way or another. I merely, I merely submit to merely the void. Yes, I'm merely referencing a meme. All right. Well, that's pretty much all I have for this week. 
Uh, yeah, I think that's all I've got too. This is the first episode we're recording since officially releasing our podcast to the unwashed masses. The podcast has not been on Spotify long enough for any analytics to be available, which means I'm forced to assume that hundreds of people, hundreds of thousands of people probably brilliant. are listening to this show and have deemed it their favorite podcast. So broke, exploded. Yeah. Well, podcast machine we, broke <laughs> where can we find you on twitter Noah? if you want to send you hate mail uh you can send me hate mail on twitter at noah underscore hertz it's spelled h-u-r-t-s you can find the show on twitter at press underscore start pod and you can also send us emails at hey press start at gmail.com yeah send us emails about hearts darkness Spiky hair and belts, please. Star fruits. Yeah, star fruits. What do they? Yeah, they eat the star fruits and their like souls are bonded or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I would replay Kingdom Hearts, but my PS2 is not currently plugged in and I can't <laughs> buy it on Switch. So fuck you, Nintendo. Tori, where can people find you on the Hellish Bird site? You can find me and tell me how annoying my podcasting voice is. <laughs> I'm a woman with a microphone at Tori underscore as underscore always. I can't wait till they uh, tell me that I'm talking over you because I talk like 40% of the time and 40% as a woman is interpreted as a hundred percent. What I'll do is I'll edit out all the crosstalk so that that joke doesn't make any sense. So it makes both of us look silly. All right. I think that's all we got. Uh, Thanks for listening and keep on gaming in the free world. Keep gaming on. Square Enix will sponsor us. Square Enix, sponsor me. I will wear all of the belts.